Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. From the most powerful city in the world, a new generation of conservative talk. Fair, fresh, fun. It's the Guy Benson Show with Guy Benson. It's Thursday, June 9th, 2022. Welcome to the Guy Benson Show. I am Guy Benson, your host, a Fox News contributor, politics editor at townhall.com. And someone who is very thankful and excited to have all of you here with us every weekday between 3 and 6 p.m. Eastern Time for this program. We are coming to you live from New York City today. We're in New York tomorrow as well. Got more TV duties to come tomorrow over the weekend. We'll fill you in on all of that. I was on the outnumbered couch earlier today. Busy, busy times. Here's what we've got on the very busy, busy radio program today. Senator Marsha Blackburn, Republican, Tennessee, coming up later on this hour, a member of multiple committees, including, relevant today, the Judiciary Committee. Martha McCallum, host of The Story on Fox News Channel, she will be co-anchoring the Fox team coverage of the 1-6, January 6th, committee hearing tonight on Fox Business Network and other forms uh, formats as well. We'll talk to Martha about that and a few other topics coming up later on in the show in our middle hour. Also in that second hour, 4 p.m. hour Eastern time, Dr. Mark Siegel. He'll be here talking about a big apparent breakthrough on a particular cancer treatment that has experts sort of stunned in a very positive way. We'll dig into that with him, maybe get into COVID as well, some other issues. And then here in studio in our final hour, the 5 p.m. Eastern hour, Molly Hemingway is going to join us. Looking forward to that. I want to begin with this. It finally happened. It finally happened. President Joe Biden, no, he did not forcefully condemn an assassination attempt on a Supreme Court justice. To my knowledge, he hasn't commented on that yet, amazingly. And no, I'm not talking about the White House finally condemning the doxing of Supreme Court justices by left-wing groups, including protests at Kavanaugh's house yesterday after the arrest of the would-be assassin. They were back with that doxed address outside his house. That still has not happened from the Biden White House. Now, what I'm talking about is that finally our president has given an interview. He has sat down for an interview, unfortunately not with a journalist. It was with Jimmy Kimmel. Last night on that comedy show, sort of hit or miss, sometimes it's uh, political sermonizing, that's a lot of the case, and then you've got sort of the grinning, smirking Kimmel stuff on politics, and then sometimes some humor there. Well, he had the president on, and I guess we should be, what, Grateful that Joe Biden decided to give an interview. He had not done so, as I've said several times, in four months. 
February 10th, so almost exactly four months ago, was the last time he did any interview. That was on NBC with an actual journalist, at least. This was Jimmy Kimmel. So I guess it sort of counts, but, I mean, not really. He was there in the friendly confines of the Kimmel studio with a supportive host and a supportive audience. Preaching to the converted, and there's not many of them left. New Quinnipiac poll out today, I saw, has Biden at 35% approval, with a fraction of that being strong approval. But he's in a bubble where he interacts with a lot of the people who are basically in that same bubble. Totally unrepresentative of the country, but maybe that's the point. So Biden shows up on Kimmel last night. Many of you, I hope, are watching Gutfeld. I was on that show on Fox News Channel in that same hour. We had a great time. And you can actually go and watch clips of it. I posted some on my social media presence. And I, therefore, was not paying close attention to the president on Jimmy Kimmel. But as the night unfolded, I was seeing some of the clips. Then I ended up watching much of that interview, the sit-down with the uh, comedian and the president. And it began with this, with some immediate pot shots at Fox News, because, of course, that's the uh, the pressing, burning concern. Cut 36. Listen. It's wonderful to have you here. Good to be uh, back, Jimmy. It's I thought maybe you wanted me to just stay on Fox all the time. <laughs> you know, they're very concerned that I might not ask you serious questions. So I don't want oh, you to know, really ask serious questions. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, I don't want to upset them at all. Do you mind if I ask you some serious questions? Because this is not um, unfortunately, not I never mind having a conversation with someone really smart. Well, uh, Guillermo, maybe you need to take over. Right <laughs> I mean, points for self-awareness. Maybe Jimmy's aware of some of his shortcomings. But Joe comes out of the gate. Think about this. Grandpa Joe has not done an interview with anyone for four months. And his first, like, opening planned line is to make a joke about Fox News, one of the many news organizations that he has denied interviews to over the course of that time period. And he's done, to my knowledge, zero interviews with our network, period. As president. So, and, you know, Jimmy laughs, uh, laps it up. Oh, yeah, Fox, 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 fine. So we had a number of different things that happened over the course of the interview. I know some people are kind of up in arms about this and cut 33. I understand that argument, but also it's like you're playing Monopoly with somebody who, you know, won't pass go and won't follow any of the rules. And how do you ever make any progress if they're not following the rules. Well, you got to send them to jail, uh, you know. <laughs> there's that little box in there. Directly to jail. Go directly to jail. So it's a monopoly joke. It actually, I thought, not the worst line if Biden came up with it on the fly, which I, I'm not going to be conspiratorial, but I don't know. That that seemed like a little bit like a, like a putting a ball on a tee for something that might have been discussed. I don't know. But if he came up with it in real time, good for him. Not a bad line. I know people are like, oh, he's talking about throwing his opponents in jail. I think he was just making a joke about Monopoly. The problem is, the actual joke here is that the context of that exchange, he and Jimmy Kimmel 
are sitting around wringing their hands about how unfair the whole system is. This seems to be one of the big themes now these days for Joe Biden. Everything's just so unfair and rigged against him. And Kimmel's pushing him from the left. Why don't you do more unilaterally? Why don't you do more using executive orders? And Biden's answer is like, well, we don't want to be like Trump. And we have limitations to our power. Biden is averaging more executive orders, by the way, in terms of that clip, more than Trump. So there's that. But Biden and Kimmel both lamenting that, oh, the Democrats are just too pure. They're just too constrained by norms and institutions, unlike the Republicans who don't play by the rules. That's what Biden also said. It's amazing. The party that has talked about blowing up norms and institutions a White House that wouldn't even condemn doxing Supreme Court justices, culminating in what happened in Maryland this week outside Justice Kavanaugh's house. People constantly talking about packing the court, blowing up the filibuster, abolishing the Electoral College, abolishing the Senate. Like, oh, well, we're just just not willing to fight hard enough, unlike the underhanded, dirty-playing Republicans. It's absurd, but I guess that's sort of the way that they try to console themselves. There were also some weird moments, let's put it this way. For example, this little meandering thought by the president in Cut 34. I'm serious. You turn on the TV, look at the ads. When's the last time you saw biracial couples on TV? When's the last time you saw the way, I mean... People are selling products. They do ads to sell products, and they sell products when people, they appeal to people. This generation is going to change everything. We just got to make sure we don't give up. What? When's the last time you saw biracial couples on TV? Yesterday? Always? Which is fine? I I just, okay. You also had this one shortly thereafter, which you could tell, and it was actually kind of honestly painful. It's a little bit sad to watch. And you can tell that Kimmel is a bit distressed because the president's kind of adrift. He's struggling to make any point that makes any sense. Kimmel kinds of kind of knows it, but he he's kind of powerless as this train is going off the tracks. Just try to make sense of cut 35. There's a lot of major things we've done. But what we haven't done is we haven't been able to communicate it in a way that is, let me say another way. Well, see, that's kind of perfect. Yeah, well, we haven't been able to communicate but it. But look how way. the press has changed. Mm-hmm. Look how the press has changed. It has changed. Oh, listen, it's, I, it's, I get it. I know you, get, you overstand it. Yeah. You don't just understand it. You overstand it. <laughs> but here's the deal. One of the things is that it's very difficult now to have a, um, even with, with notable exceptions, even the really good reporters, they have to get the number of clicks on, on, the, on nightly news. Mm-hmm. So instead of asking a question, anyway, it just, everything gets, gets sensationalized in ways that, but I'm convinced we can get through this. We have to get through it. And one of the things, look, I'm going to take a break, and then we'll talk a little bit more, I don't if you don't mind. You. I'm, so, I'm sorry. We have some of those commercials. I, I, I we have some biracial commercials we need to show. 
towards the beginning of that clip, you hear Kimmel sort of trying to help Biden along, like, see, there you go. That's kind of perfect. You haven't been able to communicate, just like trying to help this guy get to whatever point he's trying to get to. And then finally, they're up on a break, and Kimmel's like, basically, I'm going to cut you off and go to the break. And Biden says, I don't blame you, which was actually sort of funny. I don't know what that was about exactly, but maybe this is part of the reason why we don't hear much from the president in terms of interviews, because it didn't really go very well from my perspective. Like, it wasn't a complete disaster. It's a very friendly setting, as I pointed out, but I don't think he helps himself just in the way that He holds himself. He just looked and sounded a little bit sort of on the brink of being lost and definitely old. Now, we also had substance, if you want to call it that, with Biden saying things, for example, like cut two. Listen to this. We have the fastest growing economy in the world, the world, the world. We have 8.6 million new jobs just since I got in office. Unemployment rates down to 3.6%. We've reduced the deficit last year by $320 billion. This year, we're going to reduce it by $1.7 trillion. Trillion dollars. Right. And so we're the strongest economy, and that's allowed us at least to stay on top of and a little bit ahead of what's happening around the world. Okay. Just briefly on the deficit stuff, for the umpteenth time, You don't get credit for bringing the deficit down because massive emergency spending in the middle of a a once-in-a-lifetime pandemic goes away. We spent a shocking amount of money during COVID because the economy was shut down and all of that. And because we are not continuing a completely unsustainable emergency level of spending based on COVID, they're trying to take credit like their genius brains have devised a way to bring down the deficit. No, that's not it at all. And in fact, their proposals and their spending just goes up and up and up, and the debt and the deficits go up and up and up as well compared to the previous baseline. It's amazing. It's galling. It's actually sort of ballsy that they're trying to take credit for this. And they expect people to be, I guess, dumb enough to say, oh, gosh, what a deficit-reducing fiscal hawk this guy is. Spent $2 trillion on wasteful spending at the beginning of his administration. They wanted to spend $5 trillion more on Build Back Better. They're proposing trillions in more spending over the next decade. And they're like, look how good we are at cutting the deficit. It's just so unserious. And then just play again the very beginning here of Cut 2. Then I will uh, cut him off. We have the fastest growing economy in the world. The world. The world. Stop. Not true. Not true. Not true. Let's talk about the real world. The real world. The real world. Are there bright spots in our economy? Yes, on unemployment and some other things. I'm not discounting those. Are they getting swamped by inflation with everything costing a lot more? Yeah, obviously, that's the problem. And it's a serious one. And how to stop that problem without creating more pain and then a recession, that's the dilemma that a lot of people don't think we can resolve without a different type of transition to different pain. That's the crux of the problem. Without denying some of the underlying decent things about the economy, 
you can even say that we're better positioned than a lot of other places in the world. But we do not have the fastest growing economy because last quarter the economy shrunk. The U.S. economy contracted last quarter by one and a half percent. That's not fast growth. That is shrinking. Maybe we can get back on a path to growth. I hope we can. Maybe a recession is coming. A lot of people think it is. But this spin, oh, we have the fastest growth, economic growth in the world. Don't say that and then emphasize it repeatedly when the U.S. economy in the last quarter contracted. It went the wrong direction. In addition to having no solutions and no way out and their policies making a lot of these problems worse, they're also refusing to just be honest about the reality that we're facing. And I don't think it's serving them well. And that would be true whether he's getting grilled by a journalist or playing patty cake with Jimmy Kimmel. We're up on a break. Let's take it. Just getting started on this Thursday edition of The Guy Benson Show. Guy Benson will be right back. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. I'm Guy Benson. We are back. I mentioned this on my Twitter feed today, at Guy P. Benson, and also on Outnumbered on Fox News Channel earlier. And I still am not quite over it, even though it came to my attention hours ago. We opened the show yesterday talking about this assassination plan from this deranged person who flew from California to kill Justice Brett Kavanaugh of the Supreme Court found his home address online because these left-wing groups doxed him. They protest outside his house. They did another one yesterday after the arrest of the guy with deadly weapons and a bunch of other supplies to break into a house, restrain people, maybe kidnap people. I mean, it is a chilling list. And this person admitted to the police he saw the marshals with guns, decided not to go through with it, turned himself in and admitted he wanted to kill himself, but first bring purpose to his own life by killing a Supreme Court justice, and not just anyone, one that he was angry with because of abortion and guns and other issues. So this was an assassination plot at the house of a Supreme Court justice, the address of which had been published by left-wing activists, and the New York Times does not even mention it above the fold today. In their newspaper, you have to go to the very bottom of the front page for a tiny little headline, not even a headline, that says arrest near home of justice. (laughs) What a way of putting it. Read all about it on page 20. Unreal. If the roles were reversed, it would be totally different, and we all know it. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my name is Chad. (laughs) 
His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. You're listening to a new generation of talk, Guy Benson. We continue on the Guy Benson Show. It is Thursday here from New York City. Glad to have you on board for the program. GuyBensonShow.com, our website, podcast, free, on demand, every day. With us on the line is U.S. Senator Marsha Blackburn, a Republican of Tennessee, author of The Mind of a Conservative Woman, and she hosts the podcast Freedom Rings. And, Senator, welcome back to the show. I'm delighted to be with you. Thank you so much. I just wanted to start with your reaction to what happened in Maryland earlier this week. A young man arrested after he showed up at the house of Justice Brett Kavanaugh with the intent of murdering, assassinating Justice Kavanaugh. He had a gun. He had a tactical knife, duct tape, pepper spray, a bunch of other stuff as well. Uh, Obviously extremely upsetting and concerning. As a member of the Judiciary Committee, I just wanted to get your reaction, broad strokes, to this development? We are very concerned about this, and indeed some of us have been saying from the get-go that uh, we had to be careful. You remember the rhetoric of uh, Leader Schumer out on the steps of the Supreme Court saying – calling out Gorsuch, calling out Kavanaugh, saying you have unleashed the whirlwind and um, talking about seeking that revenge and uh, trying to preempt decisions that they thought they would make. So this, our words have consequences. Words have meaning. And we do have to be careful about how we use those words. And the fact that this White House has not called out these protesters who, by the way, are in violation of federal law, and they're going into these neighborhoods. They're disrupting the peace. They were back there yesterday. They were back there yesterday at his house again after the arrest. Uh, It is unbelievable that they would go back to his house and protest and after all of this. And, you know, I think it's time that Leader Schumer step up and say, I should not have said that. I apologize and and try to cool the rhetoric, I think, the White House to say, please, let's protest in the public square where we're supposed to carry out peaceful protests. Or like maybe the, but, could the Justice Department actually enforce federal law? They're clearly agitating right. at the house violation. of this judge and other justices to try to intimidate them, to get them to change their opinions. That is literally illegal. And we've seen no condemnation of that or the doxing from the White House. And we've seen no indication of prosecution for people breaking that federal law. That's right. And your listeners can look it up. It is U.S. Code 18 U.S.C. 1507. They can look it up and see that these individuals are in violation of federal law. Plus, they're committing disturbance of the peace. And people in these neighborhoods cannot get to their homes. They can't get out of the driveways. These protesters are out there blowing horns and banging on drums and uh, using bells and whistles and other things to make life miserable 
and as you said accurately, it is to intimidate, it is to harass, it is to influence the outcome mm-hmm. of a judicial decision. Oh, and they're painting a virtual target on the House of actually houses of multiple justices, putting those addresses out on the internet. This one particular group has also publicized where some of the justices worship, where their kids go to school. I mean, it is really disgusting. And you would think there would be very immediate, forceful, across-the-board condemnation. It's sort of spotty over on the other side of the aisle. Some of them are saying the right thing. Some of them are silent. Some of them are, are conspicuously not saying the right thing. And one of the questions, I know you've posed this question as well, after these protests at a number of justices' houses weeks ago, the U.S. Senate passed unanimously additional funding and resources to protect the justices and their families. That has not been acted upon by the House of Representatives. Speaker Pelosi was asked about it today. She said that they are going to try to get to something next week, but for now the justices are protected and no one's at risk. Are you satisfied with that, Senator? Oh, I am not at all. And for her to say that no one is at risk, I do not know what she calls the attempted murder of a Supreme Court justice. And thank goodness the U.S. Marshals were there. The Maryland State Police were there. They were able to apprehend this guy. But as you pointed out, guns, knives, zip ties, he was loaded. He he had a crowbar. He had screwdrivers. He had hammer. He was going to get in that house, and he was going to kill Brett. Kavanaugh. And that was his goal. And thank God he failed. And thank God there were good guys with guns there to deter him. And that's why he ended up turning himself in and immediately confessing to why he was there and what the plan was. And there was a lot of evidence to support that's exactly what he intended to do. I want to also play for you, Senator. This was a clip from America's Newsroom. A woman named Judge Esther Salas was the guest on Fox News Channel. She and her family were targeted with violence. She's a judge. Her son was murdered by someone who, if I recall correctly, showed up at their house and killed her son. Given what happened with this Kavanaugh situation, she was on the air. Here's what she said. Cut 37. We need to do something to protect all federal judges across this nation. And the Daniel Anderl bill is a concrete step in the right direction. But this is this is I mean, we just saw Judge Romer assassinated in Wisconsin last Friday. When is it going to stop? When are the members of Congress going to lead, which means lead in a bipartisan way? And, And this bill is bipartisan. And yes, this judge that you're hearing from, her son was named Daniel. He was 20. And in 2020, so two years ago, a gunman showed up at their door at the family's home murdered the kid, and critically wounded uh, critically wounded the judge's husband. So clearly this hits very close to home, is very personal for her, and she continued in cut 38. This country is in trouble. Democracy is in trouble. And we need to have our leaders stand up and say, we're going to lead, because the rule of law isn't the rule of law for just Republicans. The rule of law isn't just the law for Democrats. The rule of law isn't just the law for independents. The rule of law is the rule for, rule of law for all of us. Our justice system is in trouble. 
and judge, judges stand on the front line protecting democracy. Senator, your reaction to those impassioned pleas from that judge? She is exactly right. And I had the opportunity to meet her when she came before the Senate Judiciary Committee. And, Guy, the point is this. People become exercised if they think and they're angry. And if they think law enforcement is not going to do anything or if there is not a penalty, then they try to take revenge into their own hands. And you have this happen. And uh, the fact that they're seeing protesters out there and and they're not being called into account or, or it's being called a peaceful protest, they're in front of somebody's house. Uh, then people feel emboldened to take actions like this. But our justices need to have protection. Uh, We need to be careful uh, with words that are used. We need to make certain that all three branches of government, separate but co-equal, with your executive, your legislative, and your judicial branch, all have proper protection, and the people need to respect the separate branches of government because it is a government of, by, and for the people. This is their government. And to conduct this type of violence, uh, carry out this kind of violence, is not something that is that is going to serve discussion in the public square well. Yeah, there's no place for political violence at all. And I think when you see it from one side, it gets a lot of attention. From the other side, it's sort of swept under the rug, and it's uh, sort of an ugly thing that a lot of people don't want to talk about very much. And we're seeing some of that playing out this week. Senator, I want to ask you on a separate subject about this. It was breaking earlier today, according to Gas Buddy, which tracks these things, for the first time in the history of this country, a gallon of gas on average in the United States of America costs more than $5 a gallon, $5 a gallon gas on average in the United States. That's the new reality as of today. The people in charge of this administration say, well, it's a shame and we understand that it is harmful to a lot of people and they're hurting and we feel that pain, but there's really nothing we can do and it's kind of unfair to attack us for any of this. What do you say to that? I say this is their policy. This is their energy policy. They have wanted $5 a gallon gas because they think that it will cause people to drive less less and to use less gas. And what they're doing is running the price up through the roof. And whether it is transportation fuel or to heat or cool a home or whether it is the derivatives of hydrocarbons, it is a big cause of the inflation, the out-of-control inflation that we are seeing. And uh, last night I did a telephone town hall with Tennesseans, and I asked the poll question, is inflation hitting your family budget, 98% said, yes, it is. Only 2% of the people, the thousands of people on that call said, no, that it had no impact on them. And they all, um, same numbers, agreed that President Biden should be taking steps to lower this cost. And he could do something. He could reverse his energy policy. He could withdraw 
polls and w- withdraw these regulations. He's passed 69 major regulations since he took office. Compare that to 22 major regulations that Donald Trump did. The difference is Trump was getting the burden off the back of the private sector. And what Biden is doing is making it impossible for the energy sector to do business. They only have one person issuing drill permits on leases. They've stopped giving out leases. They won't let you drill in Anwar. They won't let you go pump offshore. So they are diminishing the supply that is available in the United States, this domestic supply. And they've done this in the 16, 17 months he's been there because we were energy dominant, energy independent, exporting oil and gas when Donald Trump left the Oval Office and Joe Biden walked in. Senator Blackburn, one more topic here to get to tonight is the primetime hearing, or at least the first of a number of planned hearings from the January 6th committee. And look, I've said before several times that there are particularly some of the Democrats on the committee. Adam Schiff comes to mind that I think very little credibility, if any. Uh, I still think that it's newsworthy. I think that I'm open minded to any new information that comes out about that terrible day. I think it was a very dark day in American history last year. Are you going to be watching with an open mind to see if there's new information? Uh, What do you think about the committee? Uh, Just your mentality going into this evening? I I do not intend to take my time and watch this. I've got better things to do with my time. And when you look at the fact that this is a one-sided approach, they're not intent on gathering information. They don't want to look at Pelosi's phone calls or her emails. They don't want to talk about the fact that President Trump had pre-approved the National Guard if it was needed, that Pelosi made a decision not to bring the National Guard forward. What they are trying to do is create a narrative and then show that events fit their narrative. It is not a bipartisan effort. It is a effort of the Democrat Party and to bolster the appearance and make it seem more like a TV series. What they've done is to hire a producer, a TV producer, and they're putting it on in prime time. I think it is a waste of taxpayer money and time. Okay, well, there you have it. Senator Marsha Blackburn, Republican, Tennessee, our guest here on The Guy Benson Show. Up on a break here. Senator, thank you. Okay, well, with that, we will take a break. We'll be right back. It is The Guy Benson Show. Fresh conservative talk. Guy Benson Show. Welcome back to The Guy Benson Show. I am Guy Benson. As I mentioned at the top, I was on Outnumbered today as the hashtag one lucky guy with Kaylee and Harris and Emily and then Tulsi Gabbard today on the couch. And one of the topics that we were discussing was the whining of Joe Biden about the media and the press. Whining on Jimmy Kimmel last night. We played some of the sound bites from that interview, his first in four months with anyone at the top of the show. And then I guess the whining also happened in private as well. It was supposed to be off the record, but I guess it leaked. And here's what Politico reports. The headline is Biden to media, colon, be better. 
Here's what the story says. Joe Biden doesn't do many off-the-record chats with reporters. So the traveling White House press corps was surprised and intrigued when the president dropped by Air Force One's press section for one such session with them during a recent trip to the West Coast. But Biden wasn't just there to field questions. He had his own message to deliver. So the president went back, the back of the plane, to talk to the journos, which he never does apparently on these things. So they're like, ooh, wow. And he wasn't really there to take their questions. He was there to scold them and lecture them. Again, it keeps going back to how unfairly he thinks he's being treated. It's amazing. He had his own message to deliver. Okay, according to multiple people familiar with the -the off-the-record session, oops, he used much of his time with the reporters to criticize the quality and tenor of press coverage of his administration. There's a growing frustration by the president and his family that he's not receiving the kind of generally more positive coverage they believe he deserves. And too often attention is focused on staff turnover, poor poll numbers versus a robust jobs market and America's relatively strong economic recovery. Well, we can talk about that word relatively. We can also talk about whether that matters as long as people are getting crushed by inflation, which they are. Just the list of crisis after crisis from Afghanistan to the border to baby formula to inflation and beyond. They are struggling on almost every front. The American people see it. His approval ratings aren't bad because the headlines are bad. The headlines are bad because things are bad. And even a Democrat-heavy, progressive press corps cannot ignore how obvious this is. And here we have yet another example of Biden being whiny and entitled and going back and whinging, in this case, to reporters to their faces to wag a finger at them and say, you should do your job better, meaning treat me better. It's all so unfair. Give me better headlines. Stop focusing on all the bad stuff that's everywhere. As I said on TV today, if you're a Democrat and you're complaining about the media, this media being biased against you, you are losing. Also, he doesn't do interviews, as reporters have been grousing about as well. I'm sure they love that lecture. Thank you, sir. May I have another? We'll discuss that with Martha McCallum coming up in our next hour. Don't go anywhere. From the most powerful city in the world, unconventional talk from a fresh, unconventional conservative, Guy Benson Show. It is a new hour here on the Guy Benson Show. Thanks so much for tuning in. GuyBensonShow.com is our website. All of your needs related to the program are right there. The podcast is free every single day and growing by popular demand. We are so thankful and grateful for that. GuyBensonShow.com, FoxNewsPodcast.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Joining me now is Martha McCallum, executive editor and anchor of The Story, 3 p.m. Eastern, every weekday on Fox News Channel. She's also Fox News Politics co-anchor, author of the best-selling book, Unknown Valor, and she also has a podcast at FoxNewsPodcast.com, The Untold Story, with Martha McCallum, and she is also joining tonight with Brett Bayer, bringing special coverage of the January 6th 
committee hearing on Fox Business Network across multiple platforms as well. That's in the 8 p.m. Eastern hour and beyond. Then she and Brett will team up with Shannon Bream in the 11 o'clock hour for a two-hour special reacting to the hearings this evening. Martha, great to have you back on the show. Guy, great to be with you. Hi there. So this is a big event. I know that there are some people who are fanatically opposed to Donald Trump, who hate him, who have been looking forward to this like almost Christmas. It's like Christmas Eve and Christmas morning all rolled into one. There are watch parties we read in The New York Times around the country, free ice cream. I think that's sort of a very weird way to look at this. There are other people who love Trump or are bored of this story and think it's kind of a snoozer and a non-event at this point, given that this happened early last year. What do you looking for this evening just as a news person i think there is newsworthiness to these hearings i will be watching with an open mind i'm not sure it will change too many minds or the political trajectory in this country what are your overall thoughts heading into tonight well thanks guy for having me first of all you know when you look at it just purely from the sort of viewer, news consumer perspective of this, it reminds me in a way of the Mueller hearings, right? A lot of conservatives were very excited and looking forward to the Mueller hearings. Um, They turned out to perhaps not be as as riveting as many would have thought, and that may be why you see this hearing being held in prime time. It's being produced by the former president of ABC News. Uh, There's clearly an effort to make this more cinematic, more dramatic, and we'll see if they succeed on that front. You know, in terms of the of the news value here, you know, it, from a pure news perspective, um, I've been going through sort of what the legal side is of this. You know, how many people have actually been arrested? How many people are in jail? You know, what are the actual infractions that happen on that day? And I think, you know, I, I think every American looks at that day and and feels um, a little a little sick, a little uneasy. It was a it was a very disruptive difficult day to watch. I remember covering it live and I, I was I couldn't believe what we were seeing. I couldn't mm-hmm. believe that people were breaking down the, the through the doors and, and going through the windows of the Capitol building and that there were um you know sort of very uh violent sort of back and forth assaults between the protesters and the police. It was it was just a deeply disturbing day. But when you look at, you know, the infraction of the law, that's one thing that's working its way through the Department of Justice. The other side of it is, and this is the, the side that I think there's, you know, sort of a lot of popcorn being made for for tonight, is whether or not you can prove that there was incitement on the part of President Trump um, or that uh, and John Eastman, his attorney, who had made the case that they could stop these proceedings or that they could delay them or that they could somehow turn around the outcome of the election. And that that has also been a very difficult thing to prove so far in the court system. There's a California judge who has uh, said probably the most substantive uh, thing on this front, and he claimed that he felt that there was more li- more than likely a criminal conspiracy to obstruct the joint session of Congress on January 6th, but that it has been you know somewhat difficult to prove. So, you know, there's a lot of drama, a lot of media hype around all of this. In the end, a I think they may find that people are less interested than they than they think they will be. Um, and B, you know, in terms of substance and takeaway, besides feeling that it was a very difficult day to witness as a country. Um, is there, you know, are there charges here? Are, are there things that are actually actionable beyond what we've seen so far? I, I think that remains the big question. They have no teeth. I mean, they can't prosecute anybody in this hearing. It's purely to try to sort of 
get the story out there and hope that the DOJ will take it from there. Right. And I agree with you. And the phrase that I've used multiple times about January 6th is that it was a national disgrace. It can never happen again. It was disgusting. It turned my stomach. I think it was rooted in lies. And a lot of those lies were amplified by former President Trump over and over again leading up to that day and that moment. I'm all for the truth coming out. I'm all for accountability. If there are people who have so far evaded accountability who need to be held accountable, I'm absolutely open to that. I also have to say, Martha, there are some folks on the committee who I think are more serious in terms of their purpose and their mindset. There are also people like Adam Schiff, who I just really don't think is a very credible person, given the fact that to this day he keeps saying that there was collusion with Russia on behalf of the Trump campaign, which is not true, debunked by even the Mueller investigation. And with that New York Times story that I referenced a moment ago, framing tonight's hearing explicitly as an election-minded attempt to turn things around for Democrats, I think the hype, I think the glitzy production bringing in the guy from ABC News who was there for a long time, organizing these watch parties, having some of these partisans on the committee, I'm not sure those things really align with a mission of being sober-minded and just bringing people the facts. Again, I'm open-minded to this, but I think that they are undermining their credibility and have been for a while here in some cases. Yeah, you know, I mean, when you look at so far sort of what the argument has been on the part of Democrats as you look ahead to the midterms, they basically want to remind people as often as they can about January 6th. Uh, because, you know, in some ways the, the memory of it has faded a little bit. They want to make sure that's not the case. So they're going to do this on nine separate occasions over the course of these hearings and hope that it, you know, sort of reroutes this in their mind and that they attach it to President Trump and therefore they attach it to people who he's supporting in the midterms. That, that's one of the main just purely political goals here. Clearly. Um, the other the other thing that they have, you know, sort of rooted themselves in is the fact that that it's Putin who's to blame for the economic problems that we have here in the U.S. And I think it's very interesting, you know, uh, Bernie Sanders came out and basically said, you know, saying, and I'm paraphrasing him, saying that we can't fix anything is not a great campaign slogan. Um, and I think he's absolutely right. right. It's out of our power, out of our control. Sorry. Yeah, I, I, mean, I think he's having a fine, uh, a, a difficult time sort of finding a narrative here. And, you know, at the absence of that, you know, you, they want to go back to the glory days when all they could do is bash President Trump over and over and over again and uh, get tons of tons of media attention. And I think there's part of this is an effort to do that. Yeah. And to that point, Joe Biden sought this office, the highest office in the land, the most powerful job in the world saying, please vote for us, vote for me, vote for our party. We need to solve the problems facing the country. We can do it. Trump can't do it. Put us in. And the American people said, okay, Democrats control everything. And here we are knocking on the door of the next election. And the message seems to be, look how awful the other side is, the side that's out of power. And all the problems that have gotten worse or even started on our watch really aren't our fault. And also we can't do anything about them. Not inspiring, Martha, and I think we're seeing that in the polls. You know, when I think back to the election, I, I don't know that there was a message of we can do it better. I think the the largest part of the message was we're not him, and we're going to restore, you know, sort of dignity to the office. We're going to restore our position around the world with other world leaders. Right. Normalcy. And all of these sort of normalcy relationship uh, kinds of things, um, because the fact of the matter is that you know, on the on the sort of 
basic issues of the economy, and this is you know prior to COVID, which was uh, you know put an enormous wrench into everything. Um, things were going fairly well. So, you know, most of the criticism during the Trump administration was about him and how he behaved personally. Uh, the tweets, you know, the even the impeachments, when you go through them, the second one, of course, based on January 6th, the first one based on the conversation uh, that he had with, uh, with the Ukraine leader. So they were more behavioral than substance and issues and how the country was doing. So I, I think that they are scrambling now to sort of direct people to or to point at what they've done that has worked on the issue front because it's not working. Mm-hmm. So that makes it a pretty difficult argument. So, gee, let's just go back and let's let's bring up January 6th again. Let's, you know, revisit all this. I think by and large, you know, most and, and the real question is independent voters, right? How do independent voters feel about January 6th? Do they feel like the DOJ has handled the criminal side of it? Do they feel like, you know, and I would just throw out there that, I, this morning, I tried to find out, you know, how many people have been arrested with a BLM protest that caused destruction to um, businesses across the country and the towns where these played out, or people who were assaulted as a result of it. It, it gets like little to no attention, and there hasn't been any real focus from the DOJ on it at all. So, um, you know, so there, there's just a heavy politic, political bend here. But I, I, I would love to see a poll of independent voters and how important January 6th is to them and where it ranks on the list with regard to gas prices or inflation or all of these other things, even though the president went on Kimmel last night and said, you know what, I think things are going really well. Right, exactly. And even if the hearings bring us new information and more disturbing information, and I think they might, whether that moves the needle for anyone independence or otherwise, especially this far out from the election, when you've got empty shelves on baby formula, $5 gasoline, inflation on everything, that's overwhelmingly the issue right now, those those concerns for Americans. And Martha, it reminds me actually of something else that we talked about. I was on the couch earlier on Outnumbered, co-hosting that show in the noon hour today on the news channel. President Biden has taken to whining about the media. He apparently dressed down the media on his plane yesterday or the day before saying, you guys are just being so unfair to me. You're way too negative. You need to be better at this. He kind of did the same thing uh, with Jimmy Kimmel last night, his first interview in four months. And I made the point, Martha, if you are a Democrat and you are complaining that the media is too harsh on you, you're really flailing and losing. And that's how this feels to me for him. You know what? I I do think that the media has started to it's become impossible to avoid the obvious. So you do hear now reporters in some uh, outlets discussing how badly things are going uh, and the fact that they're frustrated when they look at the president of you know, his lack of, of ability to do anything and his lack of leadership in terms of, you know, encouraging the country that we can turn this around. First, you have to accept where things are. And then you have to convince people that you can turn them around. I always, I always look to Churchill or Reagan as examples of people who were willing to, to articulate the difficulty that existed and yet instill in people inspiration and positivity that they would overcome it, that together we could find solutions to overcome it. Um, and that's, that's what we're not hearing. You know, we'll hear the president say, yeah, you know, it's all Putin's fault and it's you know, terrible, but just trust me. I've never been more optimistic about how things are going. So there's just a disconnect between the reality of what's happening. And, and I think that it's impossible for any member of the media to look at that and not eventually report on it. 
Well, and also the White House is freezing out the mainstream media on these interviews. You and I both make a big part of our living interviewing people. I'm not saying that President Biden has to show up on the story, although he should, or on the Guy Benson show. He'd be welcome here. But he should show up somewhere. Four months, zero interviews. And then he finally gives one to Jimmy Kimmel, who's a partisan sort of playing patty cake. And when he is pushing him, it's pushing him from the position of the left, but overall a very friendly interview in friendly confines. I also think that doesn't cut it. He's the leader of the free world. Yeah, I mean, that's one thing I'll say about President Trump. He he talked to, he talked to everybody. That's true. He was never afraid of an interview. You know, he wasn't he, he felt strongly enough about his beliefs and what he was doing. And, you know, some of those interviews went well for him. Some of them went badly for him. But he, he was he didn't hesitate to put himself out there. So it's I, I can't really gather anything from their schedule other than that they are concerned about about him going out there. There's no other way to look at it. Yep. Um, they they you know, there's tons of documentation of uh, the, of his own staff being concerned about what he might say. And it's a long history that goes back decades that they were worried about, you know, him sort of going off topic and saying things that they were going to have to later fix or that he would have to later fix. So um, I th- I don't think they have a ton of confidence in his ability to <laughs> to do these kind of yes. changes. And I think that, you know, the proof is in what's on his calendar. Yeah, not a lot of confidence is a very kind way to put it, Martha, and you're a very kind person. So I, I applaud you for that framing. Diplomatic. Yeah, exactly. Well, we'll be watching tonight uh, the hearings live as they take place on Capitol Hill 8 p.m. Eastern, Fox Business Network, a lot of the Fox broadcast, local affiliates as well, and then sort of the post-hearings recap show with Martha McCallum, our guest, Brett Baer, and then joining on the news channel after 11 p.m. Eastern will be Shannon Bream. Martha, we'll be watching. I know you'll be very carefully, and I look forward to your coverage. Thanks a lot. Bye, guys. You bet. We'll take a quick break. We will come right back. It is The Guy Benson Show. The Guy Benson Show. More next. Back on The Guy Benson Show, I am Guy Benson. Thank you for listening. We were talking in that last segment with Martha McCallum, partially about the media and the press, and we've been following this just sort of embarrassing, rolling mess at The Washington Post all week long, dating back to the weekend. And in case you're wondering, is it still going today? Yes, it is still going today. Beckett Adams tweeting that we are now over 150 hours of basically nonstop infighting in public on Twitter among Washington Post employees. It all started with the Dave Weigel problematic retweet, which he unretweeted and apologized for. He's been suspended for a month without pay after some of his own colleagues and supposed friends, this woman Felicia Sonmez, was really agitating for that. She got her way. All of this is detracted, by the way, from Taylor Lorenz's scandalously irresponsible and unethical journalism in a separate issue at the Washington Post, resulting in multiple corrections. And that's still sort of simmering off to the side. But the big explosion has been this huge brawl within the newsroom playing out in front of all of our eyes with leaked emails and screenshots and tweets. And this Felicia character updated her thoughts today. I actually made fun of this a little bit yesterday where a bunch of journalists at the Washington Post right around the same time all tweeted in unison 
how much they love working at WAPO and how it's a wonderful environment and they're proud to be there and they love their collegial and collaborative environment. They use just the same buzzwords. It was not very subtle, but they all did it roughly at the same time, which was funny. Everyone was making fun of it. Well, today, sweet Felicia decided that she was going to take aim at those people as well saying, oh, well, it must be nice for them to say that they're proud to work here and it's collegial and collaborative for them. But notice that they are all white and they are some of the star reporters and they're making a lot more money than people of color in the newsroom. So now she's bringing race into it as well. She's been shrieking sexism for about a week straight and now racism, too. And the post leadership, quote unquote, I don't know if you can really call them that, but at least in name only, they are the leaders there. They said, we will not tolerate people attacking our colleagues in public. We will not do this to each other no more. She has ignored all of that. She keeps doing it over and over again, daring them to do something about it, and they won't. Because I think she wants to win this lawsuit and make millions. It is a really dysfunctional, toxic environment. And I guess people like her thrive in that environment. And the popcorn is still popping for those of us watching. What a mess. We'll be right back on The Guy Benson Show. Talking about the issues you care about. Guy Benson. We are halfway into today's program. Thank you very much for listening. GuyBensonShow.com. That is our website, GuyBensonShow.com. Podcast is free every single day. With us now is Fox News medical correspondent, Dr. Mark Siegel, author of the book COVID, The Politics of Fear and the Power of Science. He's on Twitter at D-R-M-A-R-C-S-I-E-G-E-L, at Dr. Mark Siegel. And it's great to have you back. Guy, great to see you uh, yesterday on on TV, and great to be on with you now. Yeah, we were on together on set with Maria Bartiromo on the Business Network early in the morning talking about a very exciting story that has people buzzing. Cancer is such a scourge. Everyone, basically in America, I think, is impacted by cancer in some way. Themselves, a loved one, a friend, we all have stories. And whenever there's a glimmer of good news or hope about new treatments to help defeat cancer, people sit up and pay attention. And this one, at least for now, is quite hopeful. Give us the background on this trial. It only involved 18 people, but it really is surprising a lot of experts and raising eyebrows. What happened here? Cancer mutates. And it, 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 like any other cell in the body, it tries to repair itself, believe it or not. But some cancers are really poor at repairing. And the, more, the poorer they are at repairing, the more that the cancer spreads locally into tissues. It's called a mismatch repair, uh, deficient, being deficient at it. And that's what's going on in the case of the rectal uh, cancer that's being studied with those 18 patients. What happens is we don't have any way to treat them, Guy. We can't operate on it because it's infiltrating tissues. We can't use chemo, it doesn't bow to fight it back. But about 10 years ago, we came up with another idea, which was immunotherapy, where we use the body's immune system to fight the cancer. And in, in some cases, it's, it's incredibly effective. And in this case, they're using something called a PD-1 inhibitor. And they keep refining this drug, by the way. The new one 
is called Gemperly that's made by GSK. And this drug actually causes the cancer cell to light up. Cancer, believe it or not, figures out how to hide from the immune system by pretending to be just another cell in the body. And the immune system doesn't recognize it as foreign because of a protein called checkpoint. We call these drugs checkpoint, checkpoint inhibitors. The cancer cell lights up. In comes a T cell, an immune cell. It's like a war in the bloodstream destroying the cancer cell. In the case of the 18 patients, got rid of it completely. So you had 18 patients in this study, and they all went into remission, every single one of them. How unusual is that? Unbelievable. Never happened before in the, in the history of cancer trials. And we, we, we like 50%. We like 60%. 100%? That's incredible. And, that, and, and by the way, you know, this drug has been used previously for endometrial cancer successfully, but there we're talking about 55% response, not 100%. This is incredible. And again, it's a cancer that we don't have any, really, any other way to treat. And so it's desperately needed by the people who are suffering from that form of cancer. So a couple questions here, and we talked about this a little bit on the air yesterday on TV. 18 people, that's great. The fact that we were 18 for 18 on remission is, as you said, unbelievable. That's your word. It's also a small group of people. Do we want to sort of wait a little bit to see if this can be replicated across a lot more folks before popping champagne? What more research needs to be done before this really starts to look like a major breakthrough for real and not just something that we're optimistic about? Well, so there's a couple of thoughts there. First of all, I said this is for DMMR-type cancer, deficient mismatch repair. Fancy word for it's genetically all over the place, mutating and spreading. We know that, but that's actually a small percentage of cancer. I mean, in endometrial, I said it's over 15% of cancers. In rectal cancer, it's only about 3 to 4%. So we'll start by using this treatment for those cancers now very, very aggressively. I mean, so we're already there in terms of, of, of knowing when to treat. They're there is there. But then the question comes, does this increase our understanding of immunotherapy, again, causing the immune system to fight the cancer? You know, we, we already have been optimistic about this, but this is an enormous shot in the arm of developing new immunotherapies for all cancers that have genetic mutations involved with them, all. That's the future of cancer care. We've known that for a long time, but this is a, a huge shot in the arm. So, on that front, then, what would the next potential move be? Like, If this is determined to be extremely effective against rectal cancer, for example, then what? You said it can be applied to other forms of cancer. What, at least in your mind, would make the most sense that would be you know, on the board next, perhaps? Well, again, there's endometrial, but there's bladder cancer as well. There's lymphoma, there's stomach cancers. It's all GI cancers, actually. And we, I want to know if we can develop related drugs for GI cancers that have mutations that aren't That's only gastrointestinal. Right, gastrointestinal, you know, uh, colon, mostly I'm thinking about. You know, it's not just the rectum, the colon, the rectum, the small bowel, and, and that, that's this drug. But can we do it in conjunction with other drugs that also target mutations? And the answer is yes. The answer is yes. So this is, this is going to be a continuing uh, treadmill of treatments for immunogenic cancers, cancers that keep, keep uh, changing and mutating and throwing off errors, and those errors cause infiltration of tissues. That's the future of this type of cancer care, and this, this is groundbreaking. Now, the other point you made is, do we need to study it in more people? Yes. But I predict that, that, that the larger studies are going to continue to show incredible results. Are they going to show 100%? No. 
but we're going to see high percentages. Yeah, progress would be amazing. We're all praying for that. Separately, Dr. Siegel, I want to ask you about monkeypox. A friend of mine actually brought it up yesterday. It feels like that kind of just went away. It was huge in the news cycle, and then there was the Uvalde shooting and other things, and it seems to have mostly been buried in the news cycle. Should it be? Is it kind of passing as a threat? How do you think as a doctor about monkeypox, and what should Americans be thinking about, if anything, about that disease? You know, I've always I've written books, as you know, about how we don't have a moderate response to anything. And in this case, coming out of the covid pandemic, all we have is our fear radar. We have our negative imagination. We don't want to you know, we got shamed into you can't underreact. Well, if you underreact, millions will die. Well, that's all anybody in in the political game is talking about, especially on the left. And so you don't want to be shamed into underreacting to monkeypox. But monkeypox has 31 cases in the United States. Should we be paying attention to it in the infectious disease and public health community? Yes. Is it easy to get? No. Are there isolated cases more than we know about? Yes. Should the testing be better than it is? Of course, it always, that's always a problem, isn't it? Waiting for CDC to, 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 to verify results. That's, of course, a problem. And, you know, certain populations, gay populations, um, men who have sex with men, that's more common. Travel-related um, uh, breakouts, we're seeing all of that, but this is not going to be the next pandemic, guy. This is not going to be. It's too hard to catch this. And so CDC... And it's not new, right? It, it's not new. No, and it's also not new. It comes from 1958, actually, but it's t- this particular outbreak is tied into uh, a Nigerian outbreak in 2017-18. But you know what I find really fascinating here? I'm convinced that these infectious diseases that we haven't been talking about are are sprouting up now because our immune systems aren't what they should be because we disinfected everything because Hmm. of the masking because of the distancing because of the lockdowns we're not shaking hands i'm back to shaking hands i gotta tell you i gotta confess on this show i am back to shaking hands i've been shaking hands and hugging for months probably uh, over a year at this point although doctor i will say we're seeing, again, rises in cases. There are these subvariants. this is on COVID, obviously, of Omicron, people who have had it before, people who have been fully vaccinated and had it before, they're contracting the illness. Deaths still seem to be held down, which is good news, but you get people sort of anxious about it. How is this coming back? What's your view right now? Is it endemic? Is there anything people can really do to prevent it, or is it now just kind of an unpleasant flu that's part of our lives? I have a potpourri of responses. Number one, there's a uh, reported 170,000 cases yesterday, but with all the home testing going on, it's probably a million cases. We're seeing a, a big outbreak right. now, especially in the West, of the BA 2.1, 2.1 subvariant, which I think is getting people pretty sick. But again, there's a lot of people that aren't getting sick at all. There's a lot of people with mild cases. Deaths are not up. Hospitalizations are up a little. What does this mean? It means that we have to learn to live with it, which is what we have done, and that's where we ha- what we have to do. People are at higher risk. Should be taking more precautions, should be wearing masks. I'll tell you a little bit of good news attached to this. The Moderna vaccine that's coming out against the Omicron variants is looking very good, according to Moderna. I haven't seen the actual data. I only see the press release so far. But that's good news, and and I think we need that. I think we're going to need a booster that's Omicron-specific, because with all of the focus and the media hype, 
one thing that's lost is it's actually a good thing that we're staying within the Omicron family. That's another way of saying learning to live with it. We're not seeing some huge unexpected variant. We're staying within Omicron for the last several months. So an Omicron booster makes a lot of sense, and I think that's where we're going to go. That plus Paxlovid, that, that plus uh, the you know, being able to, to diagnose it. Sure. And, and again, we live with flu. We will live with this. So I have done just the way that I've decided to live my life is I got the first shot. I got the second shot five or six weeks later. Then I got COVID, as you remember, doctor, last summer. It was during the Delta wave, and it wasn't too bad. It was mild. I have not gotten a booster because of that hybrid immunity. I did get Moderna initially. This new Moderna shot that you're talking about as a booster that accounts for or combats more effectively, according to them, this Omicron variant, that's not widely available yet, correct? I'm thinking not maybe at all. It, should I wait no, until it, that is widely available, then get that as my booster shot? So first of all, it's not available at all. It's going to be available over this late summer. I see. And then I would absolutely advise you to get a guy. In the meantime, it depends on what your exposure is going to be, how much travel you're going to be doing. You know, that, like I've gotten it, the extra booster because I'm in the office every day seeing patients, you know, some of whom – uh, I try to screen them, and I, I put coughing people on televisits, but that isn't always working. So it depends on what your risk is, who you come in contact with, and how much travel you're doing, and then what your underlying medical conditions are. I am advising it for for people that have, um, you know, I think you're to your point. I think you're having had COVID counts as as a as a shot. Right. So we're basically talking about the fourth shot for you, and with these emerging variants being so elusive to, to immunity. I'm for it, provided that you're at risk. I wouldn't wait if you're at risk. Which, to my knowledge, I'm not, thank goodness. And that's been part of my calculus for myself in consultation with my doctor, right? And that's the decision that each person has to make individually based on their circumstances, based on the data, based on their history, their personal history, et cetera. So we'll be watching for that new round of vaccine, I guess, to come out. You said late summer, you think? Yeah, and by the way, you just made a really excellent point. You wanna you wanna uh, go in conjunction with your physician what your personal risk is, and uh, you're, you're a young man, and I think it's very reasonable what you're saying, and and I think then we can people in your category can wait. Most of them can wait and get this Omicron specific booster. Yeah, that's sort of the way I'm inclined, at least for now, and I will continue to consult with my doctor and then my TV doctors, among them. Dr. Mark Siegel, who's our guest here, Fox News medical correspondent. Doctor, thank you so much for your time. Really great to be on with you, Guy, and uh, always a pleasure. Thanks. Thank you. We will take a quick break. We will be right back on The Guy Benson Show. Fresh conservative talk, Guy Benson Show. We continue on The Guy Benson Show. One of the themes that we've talked about a lot here on the program is the wokeification of corporations, where you have people in C-suites cowering to these often synthetic, very loud mobs within their company or activists outside their company trying to bully them into taking sides in culture wars and political battles. And this is something that a lot of corporations have done. And it seems to be almost like a strategy of paying off the mafia for protection money. Like as long as you do these rituals and hire these DEI consultants or employees and have these working groups and say the right buzz phrases and all of that, 
and have your logo turn rainbow for a month, unless you're operating in the Middle East, in which case we can sort of look the other way, then you spare yourself, at least for a time, the wrath of the left-wing mob. And the left-wing has been very effective at doing this and infiltrating corporations or affecting the decisions and the calculation of people in charge of major companies. And there is a fascinating poll from Gallup, and I saw this highlighted today by my former town hall colleague Kevin Glass on Twitter, and he was amplifying a point being made by Alan Cole, which is if you look at American public opinion data over the course of many years when it comes to large corporations – There is a moment, a very clear moment in the polling where you see a dramatic change in that public opinion. And the dramatic change comes from Republican voters, conservative voters, right-leaning Americans, and a bit of a change as well among independent Americans right around the same time. And that approximate time is like 2019, 2020, when the woke wars really got going. 2020 was one of those watershed moments, watershed years, where a lot of corporations went face first into the tank on BLM and all this other stuff. Well, when you look at the data, when you look at these lines on the graph, the Gallup poll was tracking partisan dissatisfaction with the size and influence of major corporations, so big business, dissatisfaction in the country with big business. And you look at this graph, and I'm going to try to describe it to you as best I can. For years, Democrats in this poll were in the 70s range, 70 to 80 percent dissatisfied with big business. No surprise. Independents also fairly dissatisfied, but less so than Democrats. And then Republicans were most likely to be favorably disposed toward major corporations or big businesses floating between, you know, 36% disapproval to 51% of bare majority disapproval. But overall, most of the allies of big business existed on the right. Then you saw the really aggressive, sharp turn toward wokeification of corporate America. And what happened? Disapproval of big business among Republicans shot way up, now 67%, two-thirds of conservative Americans have that dissatisfaction with big business. Independence, it also went up clearly, not as dramatically, but clearly. And then the Democrats, the whole purpose of these machinations and rituals is to placate these people, to satisfy these people. They are as hostile as they have ever been to big business, 78% disapproval. So the people that they're trying to insulate themselves from aren't satisfied. They aren't placated. These are people who are always hostile to big business, and all the woke corporations have done is alienate some of the Americans who actually would otherwise support them or come closer to supporting them. So they have satisfied no one. They have not turned away the hostility on the left. It remains sky high. They have only made more people unhappy with them than ever before. Bunch of geniuses running the show in some of these corporations. What have they got? What's the return on investment on going woke, I would ask? And I think there should be executives across this country thinking very carefully about this because the progressive left will never be their friends. They will always be hostile. 
And when you turn off your natural allies as well to try to appease the people who already hate you, it doesn't seem like a great strategy. And this data suggests that it's a failing one. One more hour of The Guy Benson Show coming up. Molly Hemingway here in studio straight ahead. It's 5 o'clock in the most powerful city in the world, Washington, D.C. It's time for the Guy Benson Show Happy Hour, sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink. Finland's most popular alcoholic beverage has come to America. Visit thelongdrink.com. And now, here's your host, Guy Benson. It's the happy hour on The Guy Benson Show from New York City in the worldwide headquarters of Fox News Channel in New York. Thank you very much for being here. I am Guy Benson. Our website is GuyBensonShow.com. The podcast, really growing, thanks to all of you, is available at GuyBensonShow.com or at FoxNewsPodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow us on social media at Guy Benson Show, Twitter and Instagram. My personal account is at Guy P. Benson both of those same platforms. And this hour is sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink, which is so good, especially when it's hot out, an ice-cold long drink, expanding across the nation, now 40 states, which is amazing, up from 17 last year because it's really good. Go to thelongdrink.com. You can type in your zip code, find out where it's sold near you. Thelongdrink.com. Always drink responsibly, 21-plus only. Joining us now is Molly Hemingway in studio who is editor-in-chief of The Federalist, Fox News contributor as well, author of two books, one of which is Justice on Trial, which is relevant to the conversation we're about to have. But before that, Molly, I do have to ask you, based on my experience at your Easter party, do you drink your finished long drink out of a science beaker? I would just really like those finished long drinks, which I had at your house. But yes, I would absolutely always serve it. In a beaker. Because you were enjoying your sparkling rosé uh-huh. out of a beaker. I was very impressed. I've mentioned this on the air. I think about this a weird amount, actually. <laughs> I don't think I'd ever seen that before. And I'm realizing this was an opportunity for me to plug my sponsor and poke fun at you. So I was going to do it. And encourage people to drink responsibly through scientific beakers where right, you sorry. can know exactly how much you're having and really gauge yourself. True. Although, to me, I, I gauge that by the can. Right, like okay. I guess that is, yeah. Right, so like, well, I've had three. I should probably <laughs> stop because I'm going. So I'm done now. Exactly. So my thing is, I don't drink before TV, except occasionally one drink, like a glass of wine with dinner, and for a show like Gutfeld or Kennedy, sometimes a second drink, and then definite hard stop after that. So I can't drink before I do TV, not because I'll say anything inappropriate, but because I get really quiet when I'm drinking, Oh, and that's not good for TV. <laughs> so I'm not. already, like, too quiet, and then if I have a drink, you know, if someone asks me a question, I'd be like, I don't know, what do you think? Yeah, what do you think? <laughs> you start getting, like, you're an aggressive, angry drinker oh, no. on TV. It's like, you tell me, Greg. Yeah. Okay, Brett. <laughs> exactly. On special report. <laughs> what are your thoughts? Yeah, he's like, okay, we'll be back with the panel. <laughs> After this, we'll do some tomorrow's headlines after we get Molly out of here. But it was very fun being on Gutfeld with you last night. I loved that. That was so much fun. That's just a fun show, period. And I love, like, being there. I laugh so hard already at everybody on there. And to actually be, like, up close is wonderful. The electric baby joke was probably the best written joke of the night. 
And was that, and that was, yeah. I mean, he, Greg's just naturally funny, but so was, everybody was funny last night. Yeah, it was a good vibe. And Tyrus your, was your really daughter funny. was in studio? Yeah. In the studio audience, which was, I think the live big audience is just like next level so that's for a, the show. That's a big audience. Yeah. It was a rowdy audience, which I loved. Maybe they were um, drinking. <laughs> that's probably the secret sauce there. Everyone's having a great time. We didn't realize they all had finished long drinks headed in there. And they were all well-rested. Because that's, yes. that's another topic that yeah. we had last I night. I did like that everyone was confused by that, that if you get more rest, then everybody else seems more, more attractive. attractive. I totally get that because I'm an angry person if I don't get enough rest. I tend to agree. So. And I was up watching on Tuesday night the returns out of California, Chase Boudin going down, which is all very exciting. And I was up there you know, on the Twitter machine in bed at the hotel. I had to be up for Maria Bartiromo's show <laughs> four hours later. Bad decision-making guy. But I also can't put my body to sleep earlier, really. Maybe a little bit earlier. But I'm just on a schedule where I don't fall asleep before midnight basically ever unless I'm ill. Yeah. And then when you've got the – you just know the alarm clock's coming and you just suck it up and do it. And had a lovely time on mornings with Maria. And you take a nap in the afternoon. I I actually did take a nap. And the key for me is 20 to 30 minutes tops or else it starts getting into, I don't know, a REM cycle or something and it ends up. Being worse. I firmly believe in the five-minute afternoon nap. I oh, cannot five. believe it works so well, but, like, you take just a few minutes, and it's like something. Like a cat nap. Yeah, it's just amazing. I love it. All right, we need to talk about okay. something much more serious, <laughs> or else all of a sudden we're going to be, like, out of time for the segment. It's like, wait, what did we just do here? You co-authored a book, Justice on Trial. I had you and your co-author on the show together, and Carrie's been back multiple times since. Of course, you're a regular here. That was about the entire confirmation saga for Justice Kavanaugh. Obviously, there's been a lot of news involving Justice Kavanaugh in the last 24 to 48 hours, and it is disturbing on the merits. It's also pretty disturbing to see the reaction to it, which is sort of ignoring it in a lot of cases or almost aggressive, spiteful indifference. Like, oh, I'm sorry. Are you upset that someone was going to go murder a Supreme Court justice? Pass gun control or we don't care. We're getting a lot of that reaction. And I I do worry about the country because it seems like there's stuff coming unglued to some I, extent. Yeah. I, I've been worried about violence regarding justices for a long time. And I was really worried that when Ruth Bader Ginsburg uh, died and she was replaced, that there would be some kind of assassination attempt on whoever was nominated if it was oh if it was a Republican. But now we have actually had a failed assassination attempt against one of these justices. It is really big news. I mean, it's a big news whenever any federal judge's life is under attack or the life of their family. Well, because one was or a judge was just killed, what, in Wisconsin a few days ago. Yeah. And I mean, it does happen occasionally. And the, historically, this country has taken it extremely seriously as an obstruction of justice, as a threat on one of the branches of government, because it is. Oh, it's it's an assault on our republic. Honestly, it's it's an assault on the rule of law. It is It has to be treated extremely seriously. And instead of this is this is inarguably the most important news of the day of the week of the month. And yet you had The New York Times, I think. You know, you had to scroll for like twenty seconds to see where where the, where it was in their newspaper. Well, it was like on page a twenty, I think. That's right, on the front page of the print edition. I actually 
walked around several blocks here in Midtown Manhattan trying to get a copy of the New York Times because I was on Outnumbered today. And I wanted to hold up the newspaper and shame them on the air. I couldn't find it for sale anywhere. I found the New York Post. I found the Wall Street Journal. Couldn't find the Times. So we just made a graphic of it instead. And I called for it in my, I guess, co-hosting duties. I said, let's bring it up on the full screen. It is at the very bottom of the front page, well below the fold, in a tiny little paragraph that says some anodyne headline like, arrest made near Justice's it's house. It's unbelievable. Read and, more on A20. And the guy in the in the indictment, you know, it talks about how he, or in the, you know, statement from the police, the authorities, they says that he found the address online. He found the address online because radical groups have been posting his address online and organizing protests. And they actually held a protest a few hours after this guy Yesterday. was arrested. And it's like if, you know, if after January 6th happened, instead of every single Republican condemning violence, they had actually supported everybody coming back the next day Let's for more. Protest. I mean, it's just unthinkable, right? And then also the same groups that have been posting these addresses, they have been identifying the churches where the justices go, the the schools where their children their go. Kids. And these are children who are young. You know, these are elementary and junior high school, high school age children. And these radical groups that have already been associated with a failed assassination attempt are not in any way pulling back. They're going harder. And this is important not just because it's always bad to kill a federal judge, but they're explicitly justifying it on the grounds of this leaked opinion that would overturn Roe v. Wade, that very flawed opinion that came out in 1973, and that would return abortion jurisprudence to the people after you know 50 years of it not being that way. And if they can kill one of these justices before that opinion is handed down, before that decision is handed down, then all of a sudden that decision would no longer be a 5-4 decision. It would be a 4-4 decision. And they're hoping, you know, I mean, they're, they're, they're explicitly justifying this kind of violence on the grounds that it's that the, the stakes are so high. Right. Well, they'll say, you know, these groups and then the groups that they're aligned with and the party that they're aligned with will sort of go through the motions and say, well, we don't support violence. And then but back to the protests, back to the doxing or back at the House. And it's I mean, the no, White not, House has barely done the bare only, minimum. But last night, uh, President Biden was on one of these late night shows and he said he thought there would be a revolution, you know, which assumes a certain level of political unrest if this decision is overturned. He also talked about putting his opponents in jail, which is what his Department of Justice has been doing, in fact. And it's it's it does feel like the country is kind of headed off the rails. I got an email. I'm on some of these left-wing groups' email lists just to see what they're up to. And it's very weird. There's a disproportionate number of these emails coming in from left-wing groups that in the subject line, it has something to do with them weeping or crying. Like the subject line is, we're sobbing. And then you're supposed to, I guess, click to see why they're so sad and give them money or something. It's like very weird. Another theme, maybe more than any of the others that I see in the subject line to get people to click, is something about Brett Kavanaugh or Clarence Thomas getting thrown off the court or impeached or something. So it was yesterday. I guess they had a regularly scheduled email blast to go out. No one thought maybe this is not the best idea. And the subject line in all caps was, Brett Kavanaugh is terrified, exclamation point or something. It had nothing to do with this. It was their normal weird stuff that they do. But 
this also is sort of part of the whole culture that they have over there, whipping this stuff up. We've heard the words. We've played the words from Chuck Schumer. The very kid gloves response from the White House, if they're willing to say anything. Okay, this is also what we saw in the summer of 2020 when you would get these very, at best, tepid pushbacks on violent riots that were besieging the country. Right. And frequently you'd get actually all-out endorsement of the activities that were leading right. to like or defending fires or winking and at it and sort of indulging it because that's what they felt the base demanded of them. And now it's not working well for them on crime and other things, so they're trying to backpedal. I feel like this could happen again. They're paying attention to these tiny fringes in the hyper online left, and I really think most people in the country are nowhere near that. Okay, but also it just seems like their messages are butting up against each other. We've got the January 6th show going on tonight, which is all about how the riot at the Capitol on January 6th is the worst thing in the history of mankind. Very bad. And then they're also kind of planning violent street protests over Roe v. Wade, and they're endorsing or winking or, or not, not condemning not assassination condemning, attempts. Like, doxing. Like, those things don't go together, right? You would think. And I like to just try to stay consistent, which is what yes. we try to do <laughs> on this Oppose political I, violence no matter I who know. does it. I am opposed across the board on that. Molly Hemingway up on a break here. Editor-in-chief at The Federalist, Fox News contributor. Her books are Justice on Trial. The other one is Rigged at MZ Hemingway on Twitter. Good to see you. Great seeing you. We'll be right back. The Guy Benson Show. More next. You wake up, you know, it, it's, it's true. And also, uh, um, what's your name again? Guy. Guy. <laughs> I'm a little not, flustered. Not a I'm a little one. flustered, to be honest. <laughs> we continue. It's the happy hour on the Guy Benson Show. That's my name, Greg. Although I called him Gary after that. That was last night on Gutfeld, which was fun. We were telling you that I was going to be on in the 11 p.m. hour. We had a great time, including Molly Hemingway, as we mentioned, who was on the panel with us last night. And Greg came to me in that segment. He's looking at me. I can see in his eyes he's just blanking on my name. And he's pointing at me. Then he gives up and says, what's your name again? It's Guy. Big laugh from the crowd. Then, as I said, I called him Gary. That got a laugh. And then we moved on. There was also this at the very beginning of the show. He did a big monologue about Chesa Boudin, the left-wing DA who was thrown out on his rear end by the voters of San Francisco by 20 points, a 60 to 40 margin last we checked because it takes forever to count out there. It's just a glacial pace. And so Greg was talking about how impressive that majority was, and then he decided that he was going to turn this into a fun little feud between him and me. I'll explain what's on the screen here, but listen to cut 41. That's a clear majority, something you don't get unless you're voting on something really obvious, like whether I'm better looking than Guy Benson. (laughs) Now, let's look at those numbers that are still coming in, right? See, look at this right now. Um, It's... 89% believe I am more handsome than Guy Benson. I mean, who could be the 11%? They probably don't have HDTV. (laughs) So he just sandbags me with this. He's put a map up of the United States on the screen like we're watching election returns. And I believe there were only five states in this completely fabricated, made-up poll that were voting for me. 
So I would like to thank, based on nothing at all, except for the imagination of Greg Gutfeld, I would like to thank the people of Arizona, Alabama, Arkansas, Nebraska, and Ohio. Thank you to all of you for that. And to the other 45 states, come on. I know that in America, we do love a short king, which is Greg, but I want a recount. Or maybe something even more sinister is afoot. So I responded with this to Greg after the monologue. Cut 42. Your little fake poll uh-huh. that you just referenced in the monologue. Yeah. I've never said this before, but stop the steal. <laughs> this is outrageous. Yes, it is. You don't know if that's uh, fraudulent. So you can't say anything. Many people are saying. Many people are saying. <laughs> so it was very fun. The other thing, and I'll bring Christine in here. Yesterday I mentioned the facial hair. I grew out this beard for days leading up to Gutfeld because, as I told you all, at the very beginning of the show, he goes around the horn and introduces each guest, and he's got a little joke about everyone. And the joke that he makes about me basically every time is that I look like a young child, age 12 to 14 typically. And so I decided I would mess with him and troll back by growing a man beard and hoping he would make the joke anyway, and then I could just gesture to my own face like, hey, here's a counterpoint. But then he didn't. He made a clothes-related joke. He said that I'm one of the Brooks brothers, which I thought was pretty good. I laughed at that. So then, fortunately, he did mention the beard. When he came to me in the first segment, he said he doesn't approve or he's not sure if he approves of the beard. So then I told the story that I had done this specifically in anticipation of a joke that then he didn't make. And then Cat Timpf just fires away at me saying, well, that could be a fake beard. Like it's a costume. It's painted on or something. That got a laugh as well. Christine, did you enjoy the A block of Gutfeld last night? Oh, I mean, I love me some Gutfeld, but I sure love it when Guy Benson's on. You two just are so good together. But I was really hoping from Greg more on the facial hair. I really was. I was very excited about this. Well, it all worked out. It was a very fun show. And I know we were up against POTUS on Jimmy Kimmel, but I think we were a lot more coherent. Probably had a lot more fun as well. It is the happy hour here on The Guy Benson Show. Much more to get to, including some summer deliciousness. That's coming up. Stay with us. It is The Guy Benson Show. Talking about the issues you care about. Guy Benson. It's the happy hour on the Guy Benson Show. Earlier today in our first hour, U.S. Senator Marsha Blackburn, Republican of Tennessee. She was here a lot to talk about, of course, especially related to her duties on the Senate Judiciary Committee. Here's part of that chat with Senator Blackburn. I just wanted to start with your reaction to what happened in Maryland earlier this week. A young man arrested after he showed up at the house of Justice Brett Kavanaugh with the intent of murdering, assassinating Justice Kavanaugh. He had a gun, he had a tactical knife, duct tape, pepper spray, a bunch of other stuff as well. Uh, Obviously extremely upsetting and concerning. 
as a member of the Judiciary Committee, I just wanted to get your reaction, broad strokes, to this development. We are very concerned about this, and indeed some of us have been saying from the get-go that uh, we had to be careful. You remember the rhetoric of uh, Leader Schumer out on the steps of the Supreme Court saying – calling out Gorsuch, calling out Kavanaugh, saying you have unleashed the whirlwind and um, talking about seeking that revenge and uh, trying to preempt decisions that they thought they would make. So this, our words have consequences. Words have meaning. And we do have to be careful about how we use those words. And the fact that this White House has not called out these protesters who, by the way, are in violation of federal law, and they're going into these neighborhoods, they're disrupting the peace. They were back there yesterday. They were back there yesterday at his house again after after the arrest. Uh, It is unbelievable that they would go back to his house and protest and after all of this. And, you know, I think it's time that Leader Schumer step up and say, I should not have said that. I apologize and and try to cool the rhetoric, I think, the White House to say, please, let's protest in the public square where we're supposed to carry out peaceful protests. Or like maybe the, but, could the Justice Department actually enforce federal law? They're clearly agitating right. at the house violation. of this judge and other justices to try to intimidate them, to get them to change their opinions. That is literally illegal. And we've seen no condemnation of that or the doxing from the White House. And we've seen no indication of prosecution for people breaking that federal law. That's right. And your listeners can look it up. It is U.S. Code 18 U.S.C. 1507. They can look it up and see that these individuals are in violation of federal law. Plus, they're committing disturbance of the peace. And people in these neighborhoods cannot get to their homes. They can't get out of the driveways. These protesters are out there blowing horns and banging on drums and uh, using bells and whistles and other things to make life miserable. And as you said accurately, it is to intimidate, it is to harass, it is to influence the outcome mm-hmm. of a judicial decision. Oh, and they're painting a virtual target on the house of actually houses of multiple justices, putting those addresses out on the internet. This one particular group has also publicized where some of the justices worship, where their kids go to school. I mean, it is really disgusting. And you would think there would be very immediate, forceful, across-the-board condemnation. It's sort of spotty over on the other side of the aisle. Some of them are saying the right thing. Some of them are silent. Some of them are are conspicuously not saying the right thing. And one of the questions, I know you've posed this question as well, after these protests at a number of justices' houses weeks ago, the U.S. Senate passed unanimously additional funding and resources to protect the justices and their families. That has not been acted upon by the House of Representatives. Speaker Pelosi was asked about it today. She said that they are going to try to get to something next week, but for now the justices are protected 
and no one's at risk. Are you satisfied with that, Senator? Oh, I am not at all. And for her to say that no one is at risk, I do not know what she calls the attempted murder of a Supreme Court justice. And thank goodness the U.S. Marshals were there. The Maryland State Police were there. They were able to apprehend this guy. But as you pointed out, guns, knives, zip ties, he was loaded. He he had a crowbar. He had screwdrivers. He had hammer. He was going to get in that house, and he was going to kill Brett Kavanaugh. And that was his goal. And thank God— He failed, and thank God there were good guys with guns there to deter him, and that's why he ended up turning himself in and immediately confessing to why he was there and what the plan was, and there was a lot of evidence to support that's exactly what he intended to do. I want to also play for you, Senator. This was a clip from America's Newsroom. A woman named Judge Esther Salas was the guest on Fox News Channel. She and her family were targeted with violence. She's a judge. Her son was murdered by someone who, if I recall correctly, showed up at their house and killed her son. Given what happened with this Kavanaugh situation, she was on the air. Here's what she said. Cut 37. We need to do something to protect all federal judges across this nation. And the Daniel Anderl bill is a concrete step in the right direction. But this is this is I mean, we just saw Judge Romer assassinated in Wisconsin last Friday. When is it going to stop? When are the members of Congress going to lead, which means lead in a bipartisan way? And, And this bill is bipartisan. And yes, this judge that you're hearing from, her son was named Daniel. He was 20. And in 2020, so two years ago, a gunman showed up at their door at the family's home murdered the kid, and critically wounded wounded the judge's husband. So clearly this hits very close to home, is very personal for her, and she continued in cut 38. This country is in trouble. Democracy is in trouble. And we need to have our leaders stand up and say, we're going to lead, because the rule of law isn't the rule of law for just Republicans. The rule of law isn't just the law for Democrats. The rule of law isn't just the law for independents. The rule of law is the rule rule of law for all of us. Our justice system is in trouble. And judges stand on the front line protecting democracy. Senator, your reaction to those impassioned pleas from that judge? She is exactly right. And I had the opportunity to meet her when she came before the Senate Judiciary Committee. And, Guy, the point is this. People become exercised if they think and they're angry. And if they think law enforcement is not going to do anything or if there is not a penalty, then they try to take revenge into their own hands. And you have this happen. And uh, the fact that they're seeing protesters out there and and they're not being called into account or, or it's being called a peaceful protest, they're in front of somebody's house. Uh, then people feel emboldened to take actions like this. But our justices need to have protection. Uh, We need to be careful uh, with words that are used. We need to make certain that all three branches of government, 
separate but co-equal with your executive, your legislative, and your judicial branch all have proper protection, and the people need to respect the separate branches of government because it is a government of, by, and for the people. This is their government. And to conduct this type of violence, uh, carry out this kind of violence, is not something that is that is going to serve discussion in the public square well. Yeah, there's no place for political violence at all. And I think when you see it from one side, it gets a lot of attention. From the other side, it's sort of swept under the rug, and it's uh, sort of an ugly thing that a lot of people don't want to talk about very much. And we're seeing some of that playing out this week. Senator, I want to ask you on a separate subject about this. It was breaking earlier today, according to Gas Buddy, which tracks these things, for the first time in the history of this country, a gallon of gas on average in the United States of America costs more than $5 a gallon. $5 a gallon gas on average in the United States. That's the new reality As of today, the people in charge of this administration say, well, it's a shame and we understand that it is harmful to a lot of people and they're hurting and we feel that pain, but there's really nothing we can do. And it's kind of unfair to attack us for any of this. What do you say to that? I say this is their policy. This is their energy policy. They have wanted $5 a gallon gas because they think that it will cause people to drive less less and to use less gas. My full interview with Marsha Blackbird and the entirety of today's show available online for free on our podcast. Totally no charge to you, and it's on demand every day. GuyBensonShow.com, FoxNewsPodcasts.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. When we come back... We're talking about grilling and thrilling. We'll be right back. For the full interview and more, go to GuyBensonShow.com. Home stretch on the Guy Benson Show on this Thursday from New York. Thanks for listening. GuyBensonShow.com is our website, podcast free of charge every day. Now, We talked about this a little bit yesterday. I've peppered it in a bit on the show this week. If you're a podcast listener, which, of course, on demand, no charge to you, we have a new sponsor. At least for a couple of weeks, it's Omaha Steaks ahead of Father's Day, which is coming up soon. And they have an amazing package that they are offering to our audience, which is the Dads Want Steaks package. And I can indeed attest that at least my father does want steaks. And the way that you do this is you go to omahasteaks.com, you plug in my passcode, my promo code, which is just my full name with no space, all one word, Guy Benson, G-U-Y-B-E-N-S-O-N. And when you search that code, it will bring you to a page where for just $99, you can send your dad or someone important in your life or just a meat eater in your life, even yourself, treat yourself to 16 entrees and four desserts. That includes bacon-wrapped fillets, chicken, hot dogs, and they're throwing in eight burgers free. That's part of this deal. $99 for all of that, plus four desserts. And they are addictive desserts. These caramel apple tarts, oh, they're really good. So we actually got a package at the house 
at our house. We grilled the burgers. We grilled the dogs. We're saving the steaks for a special occasion. We grilled a few other things that we ordered as well. I got this package for my dad. My siblings and I all came in together and sent it. Actually, they have this thing where you go to check out and there's add-ons if you want to. You can upgrade for this, and they got me. They got me over at Omaha Steaks because it was another really good deal on top of this package. So I sent sort of a blinged-out meat package to my dad on behalf of my siblings and me for Father's Day coming up. So if he's listening, the cat's out of the bag. Surprise. Happy Father's Day, Dad. We love you. But I was eager to do it. And I hope that you all consider doing it. We're very grateful to have Omaha Steaks advertising on the podcast. And feel free to help us perform because the reason that we have that promo code, my name, Guy Benson, at omahasteaks.com, we want to let them know that the Guy Benson Show audience loves steaks. So I've done it. I know some other team members are doing it. Adam sent one to his dad. And you should try it as well. I think it's an amazing deal. Extremely high quality, totally delicious. It's thoughtful. It comes in this great packaging. It's in the freezer, and then you just thaw it and cook, and it's fantastic. OmahaSteaks.com, keyword, Guy Benson, all one word, no space there. Christine, are you using this tool? Are you using that code for those savings for Bobby, perhaps? Oh, I'm using it for Bobby and Bobby's dad, Mr. Bobby, as well. So, I mean... We are a family that just loved Omaha, has been for years. And, I, and I, I'm not just saying this to say this. It really is the best food, like the best meat. So I think my father-in-law is going to be so excited to get this package. And Bobby's going to get his Father's Day package. Now, here's the well. thing. Here's the thing, Christine. Mm. I actually had a flashback two years ago on this show you mentioned mm-hmm. in one of our home stretches, one of the wacky Christine stories was, I believe <laughs> when you were getting ready to have Megan, your daughter, you were pregnant, you were paranoid about money and not having enough money to support the family. So you instructed Bobby to go get another job, a second job. I grew up in a town in New Jersey that had an Omaha Steaks brick and mortar store in our downtown area. So we would go there occasionally you had Bobby apply for and get a job at Omaha Steaks. If I recall correctly, I also think you said it didn't really work out, not because there was any sort of problem, but because you guys just kept buying so much steak, it almost canceled out the money he was earning. You really do have a very good memory. So um, I'm not one to usually panic. I feel like we've covered that before. Oh, yeah, very level-headed. No panic in this lady. But yes, uh, I was pregnant with uh, wee little Megan, and I started panicking that we definitely didn't have money to bring a baby into this world. So I instructed Bobby, like you said, to get a part-time job on the weekend. So from 9 to 5 on Saturdays and Sundays, he went to our brick-and-mortar store and worked at Omaha. And the problem was we kept ta- he kept bringing home Omaha. So his paychecks were just going to buy the food <laughs> you're there. eating the profits and we you know i i love to host my neighbors still talk about the first time i had them over for a barbecue they could not believe how good the food was it was all omaha and it was just so funny. so then you we felt pressure like well we got to keep yes. serving our neighbors this awesome stuff yes 
It was so funny. But actually, Bobby loved working there. They wanted him to quit his job in New York and go be the full-time manager. That's how much they loved him. I used to drive him every Saturday and Sunday morning because we only had one car. And I would <laughs> say, get out, go work. I'll pick you up. He's like time. an Omaha Steaks ambassador. <laughs> well, But it really, really is so good. Not a made-up story. You can go back into the audio archives of The Guy Benson Show. That was a story told long before, years before, Omaha Steaks became a sponsor of the podcast. It's a limited time only, just leading into Father's Day. So we've got a couple more days left for this offer. $99, 16 entrees, including bacon wraps, fillets, and then four desserts as well. 99 bucks. And in an inflationary time, that is an unbelievable value, in my view. And it really is very good. And as I said, I used the code. I used my own promo code, which is sort of meta, to get my dad his Father's Day gift. OmahaSteaks.com. Guy Benson is the term, all one word, G-U-Y-B-E-N-S-O-N, no space. And you can serve up some steaks and some meats and some happiness to someone in your life ahead of Father's Day. We encourage you to do it. Is this shamelessly plugging our sponsor? Hell yes, it is. Are we sad about it? No, we're not. And just show up. Show up for the Guy Benson Show and go to omahasteaks.com. Use the promo code Guy Benson and get that meat. All right. We are out of time for today. I'll be watching the hearings tonight. We'll have full coverage tomorrow on the Guy Benson Show. Same time, same place from elsewhere in New York. We'll have details on that on tomorrow's show. In the meantime, have a great night. Thanks for listening. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.